You are listening to the message by Antioch Centre for the Nations. For more information, please visit www.antiochcenterforthenations.org. Thank you. Amen. So now we're going to go into our message. I want to put the title of this message up, Lessons of Life, or Lesson of Life, Mentoring. And we had a while back a message about lessons in life, so it's kind of a continuation of that, but these lessons are involving our relationship with a mentor. And we use Paul and Timothy as an example here, but we're going to look at an interesting passage. I want to start by reading 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 10 and 11. You, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecution, sufferings. What kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, the persecutions I endured? Yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. So as we begin, I want us to talk about the fact that we're all in the ministry. I know you think, well, I just like to go to church, but we all have a responsibility as ministers. We all need to be able to produce. Last week, we talked about the harvest of words, that we ingest words, and we do those seven things we learned about. You have to bring it out in the open. You have to focus on it. Uh, it has to be scattered to a broad audience. And all that is our responsibility with the words we receive. And of course, our proclamation of the words we receive, which is their multiplication, is technically our ministries. And it's very simple. You hear a pastor or a leader in the church say something. It strikes a chord with you. You like it. Repeat it to someone. When you do that, you are multiplying the seed, and God honors that. So in this whole process, really, us, as we're in ministry, we learn and grow. And when we do this, we're often under more experienced or seasoned ministers that have done it for a longer period of time. That's where the Bible calls them elders, which is a simple term for meaning somebody older than you in the faith or in the process of ministry specifically. So under these experienced ministers, we're able to glean and take from them what we need to build our future ministry. And what are, what are we taking from the mentor? If you come here and you participate in our meetings, it's a good question. What are you coming to receive what are you taking from me, from my experience? But even more importantly, what will your disciples take from you? Because as you go out, you need to understand the concept of mentoring, not just so that you can be mentored, but so that you can inevitably mentor people. So the question is also, if you build a relationship with someone, maybe in, in a, a, a weekly meeting or someone that you are fellowshipping with, and maybe they just come to Christ, and they don't feel quite comfortable going to the church, they would rather sit with you and talk, that's fine. But what are they supposed to take from you? What is it that you are obligated scripturally to offer them? In this message, we're going to see this. Actually, we're going to see seven things that Paul said to Timothy. And these are the things that Timothy took away from Paul or learned from him, uh, which the things that Paul mentioned to encourage Timothy. And we've already seen them in this verse that we just read. They're all embedded there, but we're going to delineate this and break it down so that you can see each one. And that first thing it says there in verse 10 is very simply this, and I have it from several translations or four different translations where it says, but you followed, he said. 
concerning uh, Timothy. You know from watching, it says in, in the Living Bible, closely observed and diligently followed, it says in the Amplified. And then finally, the King James has fully known. Now, he's telling Timothy very specifically, you have followed what you've learned from me. You know from observation or watching. Uh, you closely observed and diligently followed. So we see and we emulate characteristic. That's really the mentoring process. You watch and learn. If you intern in a company, same thing. It's a mentoring process. You watch those people that are operating in that realm. Uh, uh, you know, a, a, a cook can watch a chef. And if he watches him long enough and is able to reproduce what he sees, he becomes a chef. There's a process of you becoming what you behold. And that really is what it's all about. And that word in the Greek is powerful. That's why it's translated so many different ways. When you get powerful Greek words, the translations argue over about exactly what it means. But it means to follow closely. It means to trace out or conform to. And this was uh, by no means a casual gleaning from Timothy to Paul. Uh, think more in, in line of Moses with Joshua. We know Joshua inevitably took the mantle or the control over the direction for the Israelites. He became the leader. But before he ever did that, we see him hanging out with Moses over an extended period of time for many years. It says that he accompanied him into the tent of meeting. Now, we know that Moses met face to face with God. In fact, when Miriam and Aaron rose up against him, what was said from God himself? Uh, you know about seers and prophets. They receive dreams and visions. Not so with my servant Moses, but we speak face to face. He hears exactly what I have to say. So we always think of Moses being totally isolated, but actually it says that Joshua was like a shadow to him. So Joshua was always there even when God came, because it was the purpose of the Lord to raise Joshua up to the point that he could lead Israel. So this process is old. Now you may function in realms of faith. Maybe you've known Christ for a long time, which makes you an elder. If you've been saved for more than a year, you are already an elder to someone that gets saved a month ago. You understand? We all have something to offer, and that should be our goal. What do we have to offer, and how do we offer it? How can we be like Paul? and find Timothy's? How can we be like Moses and find Joshua's? That's what we need to determine. And then what do we have to offer them? And obviously we see here that it went way beyond observation. He also took the anointing from him, the empowerment. We see in 2 Timothy 1 verse 6, for this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God. How did he get that gift? Well, it's in you through the laying on of my hands, Paul tells Timothy. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. So do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. So what he's telling Timothy is here is that your relationship with me as your mentor is not something that you hide or you're ashamed of, but you actually mention it. And there is a release of power when we do so. When you build an alliance with someone who's coming to Christ, and they start to tell people about you and about how you're teaching them, that actually causes an enhancing of the transference of power. 
And I know that to this day, you hear me mention very often my mentors. I will throw names around like Ken Dunbar and Jim Clark, and I will mention uh, Keith Bobsimple and Norman Richmond and Mike Caminita and Mike Gaskin, all these mentors I've had in my life. When I mention them and speak to them, there is a release of power because I'm stirring up that gift or that flame that was in me by them. They imparted to me. They blessed me. And so we see Paul and Timothy like that. And the verse goes on and says that uh, he has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. So grace is eternal and his transcended time and is with us today. Same with the anointing, the same with the impartation of spirit. The anointings are ageless. We were just talking about that in Journey with Jesus, where it said that this John the Baptist would operate in the spirit and power of Elijah. Where it says that, it's a small s, which means that the anointing that was on Elijah was on John the Baptist. How did that happen? Well, we know that it went from Elijah to Elisha because when he was caught in the fiery chariot, it then came to him. We don't know what it did in the interim, but it was an operating anointing on planet Earth. We do know that a dead body was thrown on top of the bones of Elisha and it received the anointing and came back to life. I often wonder, did that guy come up out of that grave and go around testifying about the fact that I was dead, but now I'm alive and did he speak the truth of God as a result? Maybe so. Whatever the case, he was carrying the anointing that Elisha had. So we see that these empowerments are eternal. They've always existed. So when you receive a gift from God or the anointing from God, you're not receiving something that can be touched by time nor by this planet. That's what the scripture means when it says the gifts and the callings of God are without repentance. It simply means they cannot change. Why? Because they don't exist in time. They exist in eternity. So mentor discipleship is all about that. How can I find, that's really the highest priority, is how can I get the gift of God that is in a teacher or in a mentor, or if I watch even someone online, how can I get the gift in them out so that I can have it? And really the pursuit of the kingdom is the pursuit of these abilities, of these gifts, and they are categorically in different realms in observation. And these are the things I have. Seven treasures that we take from a mentor, which are also seven treasures you will give to a disciple. And the first one, number one, is teaching. And that verse, he said there in the beginning that, that Timothy knew these things. He said to him, you, however, know all about. And then from there, he goes on and gives these seven things. And the first one is teaching. Well, the good news right now, if you're sitting in this room, you're hearing a teaching. So that's already happening. It says in 1 Thessalonians 2.13, But we ought always to thank God for you, brothers and sisters, loved by the Lord, because God chose you as firstfruits to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit and through belief in the truth. He called you to do this or to this through our gospel that you might share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers and sisters, stand firm and hold fast to the teachings we passed on to you, whether by word of mouth or by letter. In other words, you heard me preach it or I wrote a book. Both of those are ways that 
the disciples in, uh, in the Thessalonians or in Thessalonica, the disciples were able to receive these teachings. So the very first thing is teaching, not preaching, uh, not the gifts, uh, not, not good looks, nothing but what is taught. And that's why I place a high priority on teaching. I would much rather teach than preach. Somebody might ask, well, what's the difference between preaching and teaching? Well, you know it when you hear it. Preaching comes, it's empowered, it's dynamic, and I'm yelling and screaming, and the Lord would say, praise God. You know, I maybe get theatrical, and I do not do that of my own volition, honestly. I do that when the Spirit of the Lord comes upon me. It is a more prophetic flow. Teaching is exactly this. It's breaking down principles of the Word of God so that you're able to take each element and receive it. It is quantifying, qualifying, and stratifying the Word of God. And that is what the first thing you get from a mentor. First thing I got from all my mentors. My first mentor was Norman Richmond. And I would ride in his car, and he would teach me. And I had a million questions. And he would drive me all the way to church. Right after I got saved, he was the person that would take me from my home to the church for every service. And I never forget, because it was a lot of driving. It was an hour there and an hour back. And he would take me all the way there and all the way back. I had two hours of classes with him surrounding the service where I also sat and heard the teachings from my pastor. But honestly, I could not relate to my pastor at that time in my life. He was too up. He was too high. He was beyond. I would be wasting his time, frankly. But I was on a fast track. And this nicer brother who was more simplified in his presentation could break it down for me on an infantile level that I was able to learn quickly. It wasn't long, though, that I exhausted his teachings. And I found he started to repeat himself. And that's when God connected me with the next teacher. And that one was on a different level, teaching a different category of things. And then the next teacher after that. And I've been through so many mentors, always placing a demand on this first thing, teaching. Where are we being taught? And it's exactly what it says, things that were taught by Paul. 1 Timothy 4.13 says, Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to preaching and to teaching. So we see both there. There's a time to preach and a time to teach. And there's a time for public reading of Scripture. You might say, well, you know, we don't do that here at Antioch. Yes, we do, actually. I post it every single day of my life on my FaceTime page. That's public reading. You click it and you can hear me read to you. It's on our website. If you would benefit from me simply reading the Bible out to you, I would gladly have meetings here and read through the whole Bible. I've done it before. I can do it again. And when I did it before, it was because the people could not read. And how are they going to know the Bible? I actually had illiterate disciples. None of them could read. We were in very poor areas. And so I would go there all the time and open the Bible and just read it to them. And I read them the whole Bible. And you know, it's fascinating this one older gentleman that I did that to, he had never written, never read anything in his life. He was already in his 60s, and he remembered everything I read to him. When I would see him the next week, I would ask him, because I was entertained by the fact that he actually listened and absorbed it. I'd say, do you remember what we talked about last week? And he would go through the whole story, whatever it was, with detail. He wasn't quoting exactly the scripture, but it stuck. He heard it. That's where public reading of scripture is important. And he says, do not neglect your gift, which was given you through prophecy when the body of elders laid their hands on you. 
Be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Really powerful words. That we are required to watch our life and the doctrine. The doctrine are the things taught. A disciple is a learner. A learner, disciple and doctrine go together from a mentor. So we see the whole relationship. That pastor, that leader teaches, you receive that doctrine. That can save you. And through you, people can get saved. And that's exactly what he's saying. So this is the message that each unique minister carries. It is specific and precise as per the teacher and will be like no other. If you said, I will teach you because I am an amalgam of many teachers. So I'm kind of a biblical encyclopedia because I had such great teachers. But I do not have everything you need. So you're going to have to find other mentors as well. You're going to have to find maybe someone in the church. In a time of fellowship, you may discover it. That's what I had in my church. And Timothy listened to every word and remembered what was deposited in him. Just like the disciples listened to Jesus for those three and a half years they spent with him. They listened to the words. So much so that 60 years later, they were able to write it down in a letter called the Gospel. And that's how long it took for them to finally write the Gospels. But they remembered it by the power of the Holy Spirit. Because remember, Jesus said that would happen. The comforter or the counselor, the spirit of truth, will remind you of everything I told you. So sure enough, 60 years later, when they finally got serious about writing the Gospels, there was the Holy Spirit reminding them of everything. And that's how we have this uncanny coordination between each of their testimonies written at different places. They did not compare notes. They actually wrote them separately, but we have this amazing harmony of scriptures. Number two, the second thing he says that Timothy had observed and learned was his conduct. Uh, this in Greek is anastrophe. It is your manner of living or your way of life. How do you live? What is your lifestyle? Philippians 1.27 says, Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. So here the conduct that Paul's talking about with Timothy there was what Timothy could watch. He could see this conduct. The doctrine or the teaching is it's oratory. So it is from mouth to ear. But this conduct is not taught with words. It is demonstrated with actions. This means the mode of living, the manner of life, and it must match the first thing. And this is a good test for any spiritual leader. If what they're saying does not match what they're doing, if they're not living what they're preaching, well, that's called hypocrisy. It can also be heretical. So you need to be able to have time to observe the person's life. What do they do? What's their conduct? If they're telling you to do something, are they doing it? Remember, Jesus took issue with the Pharisees when he said, look, don't do what they do. Just do what they say. Because they preach one thing, but they do something else. So the conduct, and I got to watch my mentors do things and impress me. 
Wow, they're just so giving. They're so loving. They sacrifice their time for these people. And I remember asking them questions like, you don't get tired messing with all these, these poor people all the time? I didn't get it. I didn't understand. But I saw them do it and decided, I want to be a servant like that. And I followed their conduct. And Timothy did this. He listened to all that Paul taught, but more importantly, he observed these concepts manifested in the actions of Paul, and he copied him. Now, that wouldn't have been possible if he hadn't been hot on the trail of Paul for years until he was left to govern a church. But there was enough time, the same with the disciples, three and a half years, and then they were left to govern churches. And then what happens? Well, now it's their time, and their disciples are watching I would have loved to have followed Peter on, in the third chapter of Acts after the day of Pentecost when he went to the, the beautiful gate as he was on the way to the temple at the hour of prayer. That would have been a really great show to watch and see him say, silver and gold I don't have. What I have, I give you in the name of Jesus Christ. And that is rise up and walk. And he grabbed him by the hand. He pulled him up. And God did a miracle. You see stuff like that, it'll change you forever. And I had the opportunity to be with mentors that demonstrated miracles. I watched miraculous things take place, amazing things. So this concept worked for me. And many disciples failed to become what they have seen in their leaders due to the fact that they did not repeat their actions. Now, this is important. You can watch a mentor all day. You can watch a leader. You can watch people online. But why are you out? You have to be like we saw in the scriptures, Peter. Peter saw Jesus walking on the water, and he did the right thing. If it's you, call me out on the water. That's exactly what we must do. That's why Elisha never left the side of Elijah. And he said, what do you want from me? I want a double portion of the spirit that's on you. Well, if you see me, you can have it when I'm taken away. But if you don't see me, and that's that principle that keeps repeating itself in the scripture. So there are different ideas uh, these uh, times that we see our mentors doing things, we call these uh, times because they, they, we quote our mentors. You can tell someone that does this because they're constantly speaking what their mentors said. And I do that all the time. I'll say, my pastor told me this. My Bible school teacher taught me this. And I, do, I live on the principles that I was giving. And I thank God for it. And I hear also from my disciples. Often I go where my disciples are working and living in the nations, and I meet their friends and they're always like, so this is him. And I'm like, well, what are you talking about? You're Stephen. Yeah. And it's kind of scary. Like, did they hear something bad or what's going on? They say, man, that's all these guys ever talk about. Stephen this, Stephen that. And frankly, they have an attitude toward me. Because it can be kind of irritating. But usually after about three days with those people, they also get it. and say, oh, okay, yeah, you carry a lot of information. That's really cool. I like that. And they're able to learn. So I have short-term disciples and I have long-term disciples. But there are different opinions, of course. Don't be ashamed of the testimony about the Lord as his prisoner, he told Timothy. Uh, rather, join me in my sufferings for the gospel. You have to join the mentor in what they're doing. You see the leader doing something. What is a leader anyway? What does a leader do? A leader doesn't just demonstrate. A leader leads. And so that means you follow that lead and do what they do. It's very simple. Now, some did not see that Paul's imprisonment was a sign of success, you know. And that's why I said, don't be ashamed of my chains. Some people saw it as failure. There were people in the church, in the body of Christ, that decided Paul was a failure because he had been arrested. And the reputation came back, and Timothy, I'm sure, had to confront that. 
Some mentor you have, he's in prison. He couldn't even keep himself out of jail. And what about you? And Paul said, no, you, you use that as a testimony. And you should be so fortunate to end up in jail yourself. I know that sounds crazy, but that's what it means to follow. And that's what Jesus told his disciples, didn't he? Unless you bear your cross, if you take up your cross and follow me, and you go through the same things, then you're really emulating that. Number three. The third thing he mentions here is purpose. And this scripture in Acts chapter 9, we're going to read here. Um, I somehow don't have it in these notes, but I'm glad you have it up there. Uh, my purpose, he says. So the Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on the straight street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. By now you know this is talking about Saul of Tarsus or the Apostle Paul. And this is Ananias, the poor guy being told by God to go pray for this man that kills Christians. So that's the last thing you would want to do. And Sometimes God will ask you to do things like that. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, go. <laughs> That's the response. I don't want to go. He's killing Christians. He can arrest us. He can throw us in prison. You go anyway, because that's, that's our God. Now, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and to their kings and to the people of Israel. And I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Now, that's interesting because it's revealing this, this word purpose. It's a very cool word in the Greek, actually. It's prothesis. Now, you know thesis. If you're in college, you have to write a thesis about something. You have to write something down. And the thesis is a declaration. Pro just means before the time. Prothesis means a declaration of something that is not yet. So if you declare, this is what we Christians call our uh, vision. What's your vision? Well, I see myself doing this, and that's how we declare it, right? We talk about what we want to do in the future. Well, that is your prothesis. You're speaking your theme out before it ever happens. And this is the thing about the power of words. If you don't speak purpose before it exists, it will never exist. Because all that we do is empowered by the words that we speak. You become what you speak. You believe things that are not as though they are, and then you declare those things. And when you do, the very words from your mouth begin to change the elements of this planet, change hearts, change minds, conforming the things of this world to fit your purpose. But a purpose undeclared and unspoken has no value. It has to be spoken. A lot of people have dreams. But a dream is not a prothesis because a prothesis means it's declared and spoken. And we have to speak it out. And this is fascinating because this word actually comes from the shoe bread in the temple. So that the breads that were kind of like pita breads, they were flat bread and they were aligned in two rows of six to represent the 12 tribes. They were laid out on a table in unity and order. Very specifically, they lasted for one week, and at the end of that week, those breads were replaced with fresh breads. And only the priests could eat the breads 
at the end of that week. And I was thinking, you know, do you want weak old bread? But it was more like an unleavened bread. So think more like a, a cracker, you know, like something crunchy. Or you ever get that bread from Ikea? I really like those panels of crunchy uh, cracker-type bread you get from Ikea, that Swedish bread. Uh, it's nice. I imagine something more like that. Otherwise, the poor priest would be eating moldy bread. But in this case, he has these shoe breads. They consume them. And remember also that David and his men were allowed to eat that bread illegally. So they were actually consuming purpose. And that purpose was to show the 12 tribes in unity in one platform in one place. There's so much symbolism in it. The unity of purpose is as important as the individual purpose. That you might have a purpose. Joe might have a prothesis, a purpose. And George and Caleb and John and all of us, but as the amalgam of the body of Christ, if we're not on the same table, lined up together, we will never fulfill our own purpose. A single purpose is not meant to exist alone. It must be combined with multiple purposes. Isn't that good? Otherwise, I can't. That's why it's the body of Christ, and we are many members, but yet one body. I can't exist. An ear does not hop around on the ground hearing successfully. It has to be connected to the body. That's why it's so important in this day, in this hour, as we are coming into the end times, that we be a part of a church house, because that is the table upon which the shoe bread rests, that platform. You need to be on that platform. Paul had a vision. It's declared in this passage before Paul even knew it, because it was from God. And that's where your prothesis comes from. It comes from God. And Timothy learned the purpose of ministry from Paul by observation. And we will accordingly speak the same ideals as our leader. It really uh, says that a disciple will not be above his, his mentor. Meaning that what you hear is what you become. Uh, if you feel that God's called you to be an evangelist, you need to find a mentor who's an evangelist. If you feel you're called to be a pastor, you need to find a pastor. I mean, you may say, I think God's called me as a prophet. Well, you're eventually going to have to find a prophet and serve with that person to see exactly what a prophet is and how they operate. Same with a teacher. If you are a teacher and God has called you, you're going to have to find a teacher. You say, well, what are you, Stephen? Well, I'm apostolic, which means I am a jack of all trades and a master of none. You can learn a little bit about teaching from me. You can learn a little bit about prophesying. You can learn about many things. Primarily, you can learn about church planting. And through the years, I've had many disciples come and learn what they call the pattern of church planting and then go out and plant their own churches. So this is the way it works. The fourth thing we see here is faith. Paul's telling Timothy, you, you saw my faith. To Timothy, my true son in the faith. Now, he not only saw the faith, but it engendered him or made him a spiritual son of Paul. The very faith that Paul walked in caused Timothy to become consumed by receiving Christ and then aligning with the same prothesis or purposes that Paul carried. And it was passed to him. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. So the believing in the purpose and plan of God is the faith of one in the mission given. If there is a project going on and you're connected, you inevitably connect to what 
is happening in that church or with that pastor. And Paul adamantly believed in the call of God on his life. Everything, in fact, he, he, he labored under what God told him to be and become his entire life until he died. And he believed it, and that was obvious, and so his faith was contagious. If you got around Paul, you would grow in faith. I had mentors in northern Mexico. Victor and Ruth Ann Martinez. Victor just passed away this last year. He's missed dearly. All my mentors are dying. That's how I know I'm getting older. You can also tell by the gray hair and my beard. But my mentors are all just shuffling off of this mortal coil. <laughs> you know, they're all going off into eternity. They're great people, and I thank God. And I know that I will see them again. But that also stands as an example of the fact that take advantage of any time you have to learn from a mentor because it won't last forever. It's all stepping stones as we move forward. And Timothy knew this, and he watched. Elisha knew it. That's why he wouldn't leave Elijah's side. So we notice the progression in this message. Paul spoke his teachings, right, which was his doctrine. Then he acted, which was his conduct, his manner of life. Then he received purpose from the Lord, which was the third one. And he believed in that purpose, which was his faith, which was number four. So the progression is there already. We're seeing uh, how it flows. Teaching, conduct, purpose, faith. Teaching. Emulate that. Do what you're told. Conduct. And then you get a purpose to live by. You believe in that purpose, and that's faith. Now, things do not instantly become what they need to become, and that's what brings us to number five. He told Timothy, you also saw my patience. Paul was a very patient man. In fact, I would conjecture to say that if you're not patient, ministry's not for you. It's like farming. You know, a farmer, if he plants the seed, as we've been studying seeds lately, he plants the seed, the crop does not pop up overnight. It takes patience. You have to wait for that. 2 Timothy 4.1 says, In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. He's talking to Timothy. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season, whether you feel like it or not, whether you feel ready or not, whether you feel like you can do it or you feel like you're going to fall flat on your face, do it anyway is what he's saying. In season and out. Oh, I just, I have, uh, <coughs> I have a little bit of problem with my throat. I don't feel up to it. No, it doesn't matter. I, sickness has never stopped me from preaching the word of God. I will stand up here. We'll say, well, what if you get the coronavirus? Look, forget the coronavirus. Anything that happens to me, I'm going to continue to go. Going to continue to function. If I have to put myself in a plastic bubble up here, you're still going to find me here. I put myself in a hyperbaric chamber. I'll wear a hazmat suit with a microphone inside if I have to, but I'm going to continue to do what God's called me to do. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great, what? Patience and careful instruction. Why? Well, because a time's coming when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they're going to gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. And they'll turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your 
ministry. You may say, what does it mean that these people are going to fall away or they come when people will not put up with sound doctrine? Well, if you want to know when that is, it's right now on planet Earth. Right now, more than ever before in my 36 years of ministry, it's, it's happening now. Uh, the Bible spoke about a falling away. Uh, it talks about people not wanting to participate in church any longer. Christianity as a culture is dying very rapidly. We're entering into a dark time. Some places there's revivals going on, but at this point it's the exception and not the rule. But I'm looking for a global revival. And there does come a time when people don't want to put it. They don't want to hear good teaching. That's why this church is so small. Because I consistently am teaching at a level that it's, it's not going to tickle your ears. In fact, you're going to get your spiritual toes stepped upon frequently in an atmosphere where someone's doing this. But we must, with patience, listen as with patience these things are preached to us and are shared. And one of the things that most discourages you is when you see people that you've taught and helped diverge and go away. And they no longer listen to sound doctrine. You lay a foundation for them. They rejoice in it for a season. And they say it's great. And everything you taught them is wonderful. But then they hit the testing zone. And soon, suddenly, they call into question the things they receive from you. And I've seen some of my people come, some go. And actually, I have four that I can number that were had great hopes in that just outright walked away. Uh, and, and we've been hurt by many, but and sometimes it's funny, you know, I think of the four that walked away and betrayed, but I forget the dozens that did not. Why is it that the negative always calls your attention? You think about, well, this person didn't do this or didn't do that. You, you can't focus on that. Paul was hurt by it too. That's why the end of his letters talk about this one that betrayed him, this one that went back to the world. And he's moaning in every letter. He's writing about, watch out for this guy. He's the devil. You know, he's mad at these people. Be careful with him. And he's talking about people that were once allied with him, but later diverged. It happens. It's the way it is. But patience is required. Long-suffering requires that you remain and be consistent no matter what works against you. To stay your course, keep going. It can also be thought of as, as hard-headedness. Uh, to be in ministry and to really live these principles of the kingdom, you're going to have you're gonna have to be hard-headed because there's always going to be something annoying. Something's going to annoy you no matter where you go. Someone's going to annoy you, and you're going to have the temptation to just throw it all off, but you have to stay focused. Number six, we're going to finish soon. Love. 1 Corinthians 13, 1 says, If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, now he's talking about spiritual languages, you know, as we, those of us who pray in tongues, you know, that is a spiritual endowment. But he says, you can do this, but if you don't have love, well, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. Uh, we just, in Chinese New Year, you know what this is. It's that dragon dance outside your window when you're trying to sleep. That's what Paul said you are speaking in tongues if you don't have love. Wow, that's pretty heavy, isn't it? 
Because some people think tongues are the cure-all for everything, and if you just speak in tongues, it's like magic formulas that come out of your mouth. No, your spirit speaks independent. Your soul has to match that. You need the love of God. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, like this is like super spiritual guy prophesying and got all revelation and his faith is so powerful mountains are jumping into the ocean but do not have love I am nothing Paul said notice his prioritization of love how important this is if I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast but do not have love I, I get nothing out of it I gain nothing and then he goes and talks about why. Love is awesome. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It's not proud. It does not dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always preserves. Love never fails. Paul obviously was convinced about love. And Paul put love in the highest place to be taught to his disciples above every spiritual gift. More important than all, he listed them on purpose. You can prophesy all you want, but if you don't love, you're worthless. You can pray in tongues all day long. You don't love, you're wasting your time because God is love, quote unquote. And we need to walk in the love of God. And honestly, our love, our human love, our earthly love, it's not sufficient. That's the philos. You scratch my back, I'll scratch yours, and you do good to me, I'm going to do good to you. That's not really God's love. God's love is the other cheek. God's love is the extra mile. God's love is the patient endurance because you're hoping someone will come around and that abusive personality in your life, that toxic relationship that you just can't cut off because you know if you hang in there long enough, that person will change. That's love. And it suffers for a long time. And Timothy learned to love people by watching Paul do it. And we come to the final one. Number seven, perseverance. You observe my perseverance. And he talked about hardships he had. In Romans 5, 1, one of my favorite passages. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what salvation gives you. We make peace with our Father because of Jesus. We're justified. Through faith, not works. Through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance causes your character to grow. And character will cause you to be a person of hope. And hope does not put us to shame. In other words, your hopes will not go unsubstantiated. Hope, if you hope long enough, it's going to happen because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who, he has, uh, who has been given to us. So this very simply means that it's the quality of not giving up, what I started earlier talking about. When Jesus taught prayer, and while we were still in the worship, I mentioned it. When Jesus taught prayer, he specifically mentioned that. He said this about those who pray and never give up. It's like that widow woman in the unjust judge. It's like the neighbor asking for bread. And we see this quality in people who don't quit. And the endurance 
that they have, the perseverance. The lack of this endurance is often excused by those lacking it as something else. They'll give excuses of why they can't endure. But I've seen a lot of people quit, but almost none of them admit that they were quitting. They say some other reason why. But quitting is quitting. Quitting simply means you stop doing what you had hopes of achieving. And so you be consistent and you'll see it. So it's easy to be removed from a race by deceptive plans. The devil loves breaking people's perseverance down. He loves uh, discouraging you. But uh, don't grow weary in well-doing. There's so many passages that tell you just remain, continue. And Timothy saw Paul endure. He stuck it out through the worst and best of times and had success as a result. And really this whole persecution thing that we're so scared of, it's the cherry on top. 2 Timothy 3.11, persecutions and sufferings such as happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium and Lystra, what persecutions I endured. And out of them all the Lord delivered me. Until you go through hardships and persecution, God can never be really God to you. You have to be delivered from something. Remember we saw that after Jesus got back in the boat when he was walking on the water, immediately the waves and the wind died. And it says that they worshipped Jesus. And it's the first time in scripture that the disciples worshipped Jesus because they thought they were going to die. And persecution produces that closeness and that relationship. And Paul was able to make it through the persecution and suffering because of these seven things that he had. And this is the recap of the lessons of life, mentoring, these treasures that we take, teaching, conduct, purpose, faith, patience, love, and perseverance. And perseverance is connected to the cherry on top. That's why I didn't make it a different point. Perseverance is you enduring persecution. You stay there. Keep going. Keep going. Hang in there. Can you wait 100 years for the child, Isaac, to be born? We have so many good examples in the Bible. Can you endure what Joseph went through before he was exalted to the position that God had from him that he dreamt about when he was a child? takes a long time to get there. And we go through things, but God can help you. And if you consider these things, already you have been, anybody in this room, you've known Christ for more than a year, like I say, you have already lived a lot of this. And so where can you find someone that you can pass these things on to? Teaching, conduct, purpose, faith, patience, love, and perseverance. Amen? Amen. Okay, that, that is my message for tonight. I'd like us to stand up. We're going to pray. We love you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for teaching us the lessons of life that come through our association in the body of Christ. That we have such great opportunities to learn and grow. I thank you for one, Lord. I, I remember so many teachers in my life, so many preachers, and so many wonderful people that taught me. I'm so grateful for them, Lord. Thank you that they were patient with me when I was so irritating. I was often a terrible disciple. I was often arrogant and proud and boastful and deceptive and often walked in false humility and they knew it 
but they stayed the course with me because of their love for me so that I could grow. And now, Lord, I've been able to do the same thing. But let us all be able to operate in this, Lord. Bring us to a place. I pray that even within this year, all of us will find new disciples, new people that we can impart to, that we can teach, that we can instruct. And some people might say, well, I don't feel ready. I don't feel equipped to teach someone like that. I don't know if I have what it takes. I'm not called to the ministry. Actually, that's not true. Every believer is called to the ministry of reconciliation. And we will find a way that we can impact people's lives and help them. There's somebody out there waiting for your teachings. Just like there's somebody out there waiting to teach you. Just find your place in the kingdom. Lord, thank you for bringing us to that place in the kingdom where we fit. We're all living stones and we make up the wall of the temple of God. There are those below us and there are those above us. Our mentors lift us up. Our disciples are lifted by us and we continue to build this wall of your kingdom. Thank you, Jesus. Let us be a brick in the wall and make a difference as mentors with disciples. All the words that we've covered tonight, Lord, we ask that you would lock them into our hearts, that you would give us even further revelation as we meditate on these things. I pray for everybody that listens online, the people who go through these teachings later, God, in many nations, I pray that they would receive a call to rise as mentors. Or if they're alone and they've not learned and they're not growing, let them receive a call to become a Timothy and find a Paul so that they can go through the process that your kingdom constantly gives us. We thank you for it, Lord. We rejoice in you. And we say thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. 